Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends, to Navigate with I.D. Enang. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here today. As always, I'm grateful to God for the gift of life. More importantly, that one can afford to wake up and dance and sing and eat and speak and hear amongst so many other things you could do. It's a good place to feel good. It's a good place to be alive and to be ready to take on the challenges that life would present. And that is why we are looking at the topic how to live a legacy-driven life. And if you are joining for the first time, I bid you welcome. We've been looking at this subject for a couple of episodes now. And in the last episode, we've been looking at self-managed development, why it is so important that you and I will manage ourselves. And self-management is a must-do. But in getting that done, it requires some degree of self-awareness. And we had gone ahead to talk about learning relationships. Learning relationships speak to the external factors that give us some form of bench support. So starting from a learning partner, to the counselor, to the role model, to the mentor, and even to the coach. And to a large extent, when we have learning support groups, each of these learning relationships are positioned to support us on this journey called life. I wonder why someone would imagine that he or she can survive as a Lone Ranger. It's not possible. I'd always said it, and I will continue to say it, that Almighty God himself had to be in a trying nature. You have got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's partnership. So when you think you can go it all alone, then you are going to suffer so many things that will not even allow you to get to your destination. And so learning relationships are a key factor in us living a legacy-filled life. But you need to know who you are. And that is the point at which we went through some form of learning activities. If you recall in the last episode on Thursday, I talked about certain learning activities that can help to bolster who you are, your confidence, as you begin to get into the spirit of self-analysis. Just for the purpose of a recap, let me hit on some of the high notes of learning activities that you and I need to embark upon day to day in order to provide opportunities for continuous learning. Some of us take it for granted. Many of us are not even aware. But then today, as you listen to me, I want you to take this as the point in time where you are going to start doing things very differently. What do I mean? Starting from project work. If you are in an environment where projects are being embarked upon very often, I want you to take on the garment, wear the cloak of volunteerism. Volunteer to work in the project team. You'll be amazed how much you're going to garner as learning from this simple exercise that would last for a period. It is not something that will be into eternity. Projects are normally 
frame within a time frame. And so when you take on a project assignment as a volunteer, you know you are volunteering your time to support not just the course, but at the same time, you're going to learn something. A second one I talked about is secondment. For a lot of people that are in the corporate arena or public service, but as long as you work in a multi-tiered organization where mobility is guaranteed, so for example, you work in a company where you have affiliates in Africa, in East Africa, West Africa, Asia, America, the United Kingdom, or Europe, and um, there is an opportunity for you to go across borders, even within country, if there's an opportunity for you, maybe you are based in Lagos and there's a shadow opportunity in Port Harcourt and you're asked to move to Port Harcourt for three months. That in itself is a form of secondment that you will go take on a role that you otherwise are not in now. It's all part of your development. Now, the next thing we typically do is we get into our comfort zones of, okay, Maslow's theory. Am I going to be fulfilled? Will I like it? And at these days in our country, which I understand perfectly, is it a safe place to go? Is it a safe place for me to go and hibernate or work? But remember that human beings are already working there. Remember also that you are going under the clause of the, the company. That is, the company is taking you there. So part of it is to ensure that you are safe, just like they are making other colleagues of yours in that territory safe. So what else would you expect but to trust God for the gift of life and that God will protect you? He ultimately has the protective arm over all of us. No amount of security can compare to that which God has given to us. And so secondment to any of these territories is a form of learning. And if you don't see that, let me put in another context. They talk about STA. STA means short-term assignment. You may be asked to go for a short-term assignment for six months to understudy another colleague in South Africa, in Namibia, in Kenya, in Ghana, wherever within the scope of reference, you should take it. Take that opportunity. You're going to learn a lot more about the people, the country. You're going to learn a lot more about the environment, the job. You're going to get a scope of exposure that will place you far better than you were six months prior. I want to salute those that take on these brave steps, these brave opportunities. In the course of my career, I had this at very many times where I had to step into terrains that were not my normal terrains. And it made a lot of sense. At the start of my career at Guinness, I was posted to Benin. I was there as a management trainee to work at the sales uh, department at this war road. And I had my area manager, Mr. Ojejimi. And definitely we had to go to Wari, Sapele, which was our area, Onicha. We were Benin area. And all of those territories normally, on a good day, I had not even toured Onicha. Wari, Ondo, Ikarekiti, all of those places became territories I had to go to because I found myself on an assignment. So a short-term assignment can bring huge advantages to you. And maybe you might just say, okay, ID, what are you saying? Those of us 
that are not working for such multi-tiered, multi-faceted companies, what do we do? What you will do is that you have to apply yourself into a new vista. If you are an SME or you are an entrepreneur, don't shut your eyes to opportunities outside of your comfort zone. What am I saying? Be ready to take on the challenge in some other territory. That in itself is a form of an STA because you are sending yourself to go work on a project in another territory. So if there's an assignment or a client assignment in New York, for instance, and you are based in Lagos, you are going to cost it in such a way that it allows you go in into you and come out. But the beauty of it is that you have to hire people on the ground that you will supervise remotely or they will work with you during the duration of the project. So this is not limited to only those that are working in companies, organizations that are multi-tiered or multi-spaced you know, um, in geography. As an entrepreneur, you can. It all begins with how much of your business you've been able to expose. The third thing that brings learning to the table is structured reading. Structured reading. I have come to realize that many of us do not read at all. Yes, I've had the privilege of launching my first book, and I'm in the process of starting work on the second one. The second one speaks again about my journey, speaks about the entirety of what I had to embrace to take on the challenge, and at the end of the day, God gave one victory. But then it takes a structured reader to be able to walk through the challenges of life. If you're structured in your reading, you'll be structured in your leading. So some people decide to only read one thing. I only read Bible-believing books. I will only read anything on John Maxwell, John Maxwell alone. I'm not saying anything is wrong with John Maxwell. But why must you put all your rivers into one confluence one day? Why must you put all your eggs into one basket, one basket of knowledge? It cannot all come from there. You can decide that you're going to read something around fiction. You want to read something about, about biographies. You want to read about people that have succeeded and how they succeeded. You want to go into management books. You want to go into history. You can structure your reading in a way that you learn a lot. And that learning is what is going to project how you will ultimately bring yourself to the table. So when you're sitting in an interview or you are in a job, you bring out elements of what you've read as knowledge that is being transferred and people around you will be wondering, where did we get this guy or lady from? It's because you've embarked on structured reading. You don't. You see people sell books in the traffic. I know most of them are pirated, but do buy something and read. Structure your development in a way and manner that you know you're heading for somewhere. I have had times with that number, the opportunity to tell you guys that one of the things that God gave me as grace and insight was very early in my career in the university. When I was at the university studying economics, it was important that I had to buy books. And so as meager as the graceful allowance my mom or my dad will send to me, especially my mom, that she will send to me, I always took a percentage out of it and I'll face the market to go buy books. I'll buy some books. So I had books in econometrics. 
I still remember in my study today that I can see the theory of econometrics by Kuzianis. That was one book that helped me in running through my my econometrics days. If you study economics, you'll understand what I mean, you know? And that in itself was great. Micro, macro, development economics. I had books in them, but I had colleagues who never bought one book, not one time throughout the university. How do I know? They will always come to my house and say, ah, oh boy, I bet me I borrow this book. At the point, I stopped people borrowing books from my library because they never returned. So when you come, you sit in my small uh, face me, I box you. That's where we're staying. And you will sit there and use it, sit in my room. I had a table chair and a bed. I said, oh, boys, you don't hear. If you want to read that, read that here. I can go for lectures, but I'll come back and meet you there using the book. What am I saying, friends? It became in second nature for me. And so when I started my journey in corporate, when I worked at Guinness, it was always important for me to build a library. And I continued in that till this day that I see books, I order books, I have e-books, I have physical books, I have all manner of literature. Why? I may not, like I always tell you, I may not finish the book, I may not read all of it, but I tell you that I do 60 to 70%. That is good enough. But I move across different types of uh, entities. But more importantly, I'm, you know, enhancing my wealth, knowledge, the power to be able to speak, the power to be able to understand, and the power to lead. A friend of mine, Dr. Elvis Supaka, once, you know, I think he launched a book, it was last year, if I'm not mistaken, that readers are leaders. And I believe with all the way, friends. So if you want to be a great leader, you must be a good reader. So structured reading is a learning activity that is very key in this journey of self-managed development. A fourth one is attending conferences. You know, this is pretty, um, how would I put it, can be very challenging because people will tell you, ah, oh boy, time's hard, things hard. Things have always been hard. When I was growing up, my always had my father or my mother say things are hard. The only time I did not hear them say things were hard was in 73, thereabout, when there was an Udoji award to civil servants. There was money given to civil servants. They were exploding in all manner of cash. But after that, you'll always hear the average civil servant then will tell you the times are hard. And then we got into austerity. Then we got into SAP, SAP. Structural adjustment program. We started, you know, stomach adjustment program. We've always worked in the notion of things are hard. And it's become a self-fulfilled prophecy. Yes, things are hard, but how hard is it that you are not only going to structure where you will go to help you build a better tomorrow? And so I'm saying to you again and again, take a portion of your income. Set it aside. If it's 10%, put it for your own self-development. If you earn one million in a year, a hundred thousand, put it aside. You can attend the conference. These days, conferences are done virtually. Pay for one. Many of them are done free. You can take out some time to attend the conference. And if you need to pay, pay. There are learning interventions that are done now, 10, 15, 20,000. But many of you do not want to. You are stingy to your own self. You don't know that you are fostering a lack of knowledge. What you are doing is you are sowing into a lack of knowledge. 
when you look at a conference that is going to enhance your quality as a person, as a brand, you say no. But what surprises me is that the same people, when there's time for them to go for a music concert, I have nothing against music and entertainment. I have nothing against the comedians, but they will put a, a tabletop, whatever ringside for you and tell you pay 50,000, 25,000, 10,000. You flock the place like bees to go get excited. And then you walk in and you come out. You've not added value to your life. All you've done is to laugh out your boils and the boils will be so empty. Next minute you're looking for food to fill your boils. But what about the thing that will make you have stature? A man or woman of stature has one thing that separates a stature from statue. S-T-A-T-U-E, that's a statue. But you can only become a man of stature when there is R. The R comes in there and the picture changes. What is R? R is responsibility. Taking responsible knowledge taking responsibility for your growth, for your development as a person. Be selfish for once and develop yourself. I know you're a father. I'm a father. I know you're a mother. I'm not a mother, but I'm a parent. But you know what I'm saying, friends. But many of us don't. Attend the conference, even if it's one conference a year, to upgrade. It's called upskilling. You can call it anything you like. But I'm just concerned about how you can build this you, this brand you. Attend one conference. Look through the entire maze. It can be local. It can be international. It could be regional. It could even be sub-local. What do I mean sub-local? Many of us belong to institutes. We belong to associations. A lot of um, courses are being put out there daily day in day out but we don't care and afterwards you want to grow there's no way if you don't feed the plant the plant will not be nourished and so i hope as i put this fourth point to rest and i get into the fifth point which is on the job coaching i talked about coaching previously and i want you to understand that on the job coaching is very key when you are privileged to have a good coach what does a coach do for you? I defined the coach as your private tutor. You must see the coach as someone who is assigned to help you. And it is typically someone who can help you develop a particular skill, competence, or knowledge. So some of you are sitting in organizations where you are privileged to work with certain individuals who play the role or may not even knowingly play the role, but they can help you upskill. What do you do? It's on-the-job coaching. If you work with me directly, you will find that I tell you whether it's dotting an I or crossing the T, you need to come close enough. I don't suffer fools gladly. I'm sorry. Mediocrity does not hang around me. I take it as you hear the smell. I don't allow it. Why? Because the way you approach matters will tell the kind of person and the kind of output you will be. So you don't come to me and just write something on flimsy paper. Maybe I ask you to do something. My colleagues know this from way back when we started career. You can't just write a, tear a piece of paper and write something and scribble and give to me. I said, are you, are you giving something to a dog that you've... That's crap. Quality 
is first time write. If you want to write a mail, write it well. First time write. Don't say, oh, many young people in the early days of Navigate with ID, when they are sending messages to me on Instagram, Twitter, or they're sending messages to me uh, by email. You know the typical use of two letters, your, they will write um, rather Y-O-U-R, U-R. You know those things that bastardize their English. They will send me a full note. I have a cousin who will send me a text message and he will put all those words. And I'll just look at him. I'll not answer him. When they send the same email, I don't answer. And then they come back and call and say, sir, I sent you a mail. I said, that was a mail. Then you really must have sent it to your mailman. You must, something must be wrong with you. You must be smoking something. And it has to be very cheap that you will send that to me. You don't know that you are watering down your value in grammar, speech, and writing. Your writing skills are going down by the day. It takes a coach to point that out to you and to tell you boldly to your face that you are doing a poor job of written expressions. So on the job coaching is not something that you take kindly. And on the job coaching is not something that you just, you know, um, take for granted. God has positioned that man or woman or that situation for you to learn and be a better person. But what do we do? We complain. Oh, this man is very, very wicked. Oh, this man is very, very that. Oh, this man. You know, friends, time has come when you must realize that the years are going to come. It's just a matter of time. Look at me. Years ago, I wouldn't have imagined that the years will fly, that I'll be seeing myself in the 50s. But once upon a time, I was in my early 20s. I was in my 30s. I was in my 40s. Nobody ever sees. But by the time, the passage of time, you've allowed some bad behavior to get into your system. You don't realize that they become the little foxes that will spoil the vine. And what is the vine? You are the vine. You are meant to produce. But when you don't produce, you are cut down. That's what it is. Every branch that does not bring forth fruit will be shown the way out and it will be hewn down. That's what it is. So never take on-the-job coaching for granted. If you have someone that is teaching you, pointing out your flaws, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice because that person is your coach. The fifth, I think this will be the sixth point, is about job shadowing. Again, that also mirrors on-the-job coaching, but slightly different. When you have a work shadowing or job shadowing, it means that, for example, when I joined L'Oreal, in April 1, uh, 2013, yeah, when I joined L'Oreal as managing director, I was sent on 10 weeks of job shadowing. And it was the best that I've ever had in the, my entire career. When you talk about onboarding, that was the best onboarding I'd ever seen, particularly for an executive at that level as CEO. And so the first two weeks, I was up there in Paris at um, our head office in Paris for two weeks. I left Paris for South Africa. I spent one week in South Africa. I beg your pardon. I spent about 10 days in South Africa, Johannesburg and the entire place with my colleague, the CEO of the L'Oreal South Africa. And I moved from there to Dubai, spent another 10 days with the CEO of the UAE region, the entire Middle East region. And from there, I found myself back in Paris for a week and then came over to Nigeria for a week and then did a step 
visit to Kenya uh, just to look at what was happening with the business in East Africa. That was job shadowing. And guess what? After 10 weeks, I came fully back to my base, which was running West Africa to sit in country to start running the business. Friends, for 10 weeks, I was doing what? Job shadowing. That is just to see how my fellow CEOs who have been in the system before me, how they run the L'Oreal business. Because as you know, the beauty business has different facets. We had several lines, very different. Makeup is very different from body, different from cream, different from hair, and so on and so forth. So they are all different business models. And as CEO, you needed to just see how this works. In like manner, if you want to go through job shadowing, not necessarily going like I have done, onboarding, job shadowing could come whilst you are in your current employ. And then you are meant to probably step into a different role. So, for example, you are in marketing and you are a salesman. You are there, out there in the field. And they want to move you over to brands. They will bring you over and ask you to job shadow a brand manager. And what does that mean? That you're going to work with that brand manager for a period, whether that person goes on leave or is about to go on leave. That is what job shadowing means. And you're preparing yourself for that assignment. Friends, I'll be back on the second half to look at other learning activities that will help you go through the process of self-managed development. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you. This is Navigate with ID. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, my dear friends, to Navigate with IDNANG. I hope you enjoyed that short break. And if you're just joining us, I bid you welcome. We're looking at the topic self-managed development. This is more like a segue to being or living a legacy-driven life. And it's about you. So we're looking at the potpourri of learning activities that will help bolster who we are, whether our careers, whether in family, in whatever we find ourselves, just to be able to enable a better future. So we talked about, you know, day-to-day activities and activities of our period. For example, project work. We talked about secondment. We talked about structured reading. We talked about attending conferences. I spoke about on-the-job coaching. I also, in the last... Um, uh, stanza just before we went on the break about work shadowing or job shadowing. The next item that I have, which will be the seventh, it's about job swaps. This is very interesting. Job swaps. You know, it's very foreign to us, but many people are uncomfortable. You know what a job swap is? That I am, and I was trying to give an example, but let me put it in direct context and you may see it. So imagine you are in a department. Let me take a department like human resources, for example. And then you are in human resources and you are maybe the comp and bend specialist. Comp and bend means compensation and benefits specialist. You are the one that compiles everything that has to do with salaries, emoluments, da-da-da-da-da. And then your other colleague is responsible for hiring or talent management. Now, a job swap, if you work with someone like me, I could take a job swap on you guys for six months or a year that I'll ask the lady or the gentleman 
that is on compound burn to move over to talent development and ask the person in talent development to move over to compound. Now, many people are not comfortable with it, especially the leaders, because they'll say, ah, I hope this person will not go and make a mistake. Ah, I hope this person will not go and put salaries. Why would you start from a negative standpoint? Why do you believe you cannot do it? Is the person doing that job in the same department with the same skill set like you with two heads? The answer is no. It's all because of fear and the lack of confidence. But if you swallow fear and make fear turn around to become a motivator by you looking at it and saying, boy, this is an opportunity for me to shine and get better, you will take it on. So I want to encourage a lot of you listening to me Job swaps can help you. You can swap. Just if you have a leader, you have a boss who understands development, tell him or her that you and your partner or your colleague would like to swap roles and see how it will work. I mean, step into a different terrain, do something different. I don't know how some people stay on one job and they will tell you, I've been in this role for five years. How can you? And then you tell me you have five years experience. You don't have five years experience. You just have one experience that you have taken out for five years. It's like a janitor. A janitor who wakes up every day looking through a premises and doing what he has to do. The guy just knows one job. But the day you take him out and ask him to go be a gardener, he's going to struggle. But imagine in his janitorial duties that he had some time, those loose moments when he had a free time, that he went over to the gardener and ask the gardener to show him how he uses the shears, the garden shears. And he practiced it himself, those big scissors. That's what they call garden shears. And then he cuts some plants and does. Then one day they probably just tell him, go, you need to go clear that, that piece as a janitor. And he goes there and does it with so much dexterity. What will happen? He has improved his capacity. Fellow Nigerians, friends, brothers, sisters, listen to me. Stop being uncomfortable. Be daring. You must be daring. There's something called the radical leap. You can job swap. You can. Don't be afraid. Sometimes, you know, your greatest fears could actually be where your greatest victory lies. And truly, the devil continues to put fear in you that you shouldn't. And you keep running away from it. But daring lies the place that you can actually you know, come off and be renowned. When you look at people that they say he's a renowned professor, it's because he stepped into a terrain that others were probably not, you know, willing to take the risk. Life is all about risks. You must take a risk. Take a risk on your career, on your job. Yes, go. And when you go there, bend over backwards to deliver. Don't go there. You're not on a parade. You're not in the beauty project. You're going there to work. And so prove your metal. Another strong, valid point, which I'll call point number eight, is distance learning. Distance learning is another learning activity you can put in. So many of us want to have, and thank God for the internet, thank God for technology. Today, many people have taken on degrees, certification, courtesy of Wharton, courtesy of Harvard, courtesy of INSEAD. It's distance learning, friends. It's learning that you go through a course. They tell you it's for nine weeks and you pay 
a certain amount, $100, $90, whatever it is, you go online and you are scheduled to go through the tutelage with some professorial dimensions to it. You come out better. They give you something. But if you don't do it, you just remain there and you don't enhance your value. You just stay. When some other colleague of yours invests his or her time in that and begins to show that prowess, you say, uh-huh, I knew, because they are from the same place. Why do we go so low? I, I don't understand. You have not invested in yourself. Another person takes the gauntlet, invests in herself or himself, and the person begins to demonstrate that competency, you have bad blood. Why are we like that? I just can't understand us. Rather than walking over to the person and saying, brother, sister, what have you done to become so great? I see you work with so much confidence. What is it that gives you that oomph, that confidence factor? This person just tells you it's purely knowledge. Yes, knowledge can puff up, but those that don't have it begin to call you names. But that should not reduce you to becoming insensitive about your own growth. Don't be bothered. As you are growing, there's those that are meant to be midgets. I mean, look at it. You may have had a classmate in primary school and you all started together looking to, you know, all the same height. But you've moved to secondary school. This person has not advanced in height. And you begin to say, oh God, can I go back to that height to save the person? That's the person's path. That's, and it's genetic. So that that person is going on that particular path does not mean that that is your path. You have taken your own path, then follow it. So why do we really bother about all these rumors and things that people, gossips, those things have, are debilitating factors, friends. I want you to understand that learning activities, distance learning, will bolster your person. They will make you become a hero, even in a place where there are so many zeros. If you want to stand out from the crowd, I beg of you, learning activities that I've been sharing with you are opportunity areas that you need to embrace. I'll just touch on one or two more, and then I'll probably, with the benefit of some more time, I will step into a subject called self-analysis. Let me touch one or two because I have I have 10 points which I wanted to share with you. You know, I want to talk about video watching. And I'm talking about not only about training once, but I want to put you on the pathway about feature films that can be educational. For example, Coach Carter, if you want to learn what it takes to lead, I beg of you, it's an old movie, go and watch Coach Carter you will then understand what leadership entails in a way. There are lessons in that video that will bring you to a place where you will appreciate how to work with people, how to learn people, how to work with people, how to lend credence to where people are in their own stages of development and how you can facilitate their growth. So, Watching videos, don't just watch movies for the sake of watching movies. 
watch movies that are future films that are educational. Even if you watch the usual social-driven movies, what lesson are you picking out of it? I don't want to start promoting movies, but there are so many movies today and in the past what that have shaped the direction in which I look at things. I mean, there are some good series that you watch and it just tells you about the intrigues and how you need to pass through them. I know I did share with you many times that when you hear me talk about the three S principle that I hold dearly, speed, surprise, and silence, I got that from the movie when 1979 or there about 77, 79, I watched the movie The Raid on Entebbe. Idi Amin Dada. When the Israelis had to come into Kampala to rescue the hostages. But there was one thing they did. They had to activate speed, surprise, and silence. That never left me. And I was in secondary school. And look at me now. I still refer to those lessons because of what I learned. A ninth point I want to make is pushing yourself to give a presentation. Giving a presentation is a learning, a major confidence-boosting opportunity. I see that many people, when they are called upon to make a speech, to present, whether planned, unplanned, off the cuff, many people are very uncomfortable. It is understandable. But let me push you in a place where you are given some time. Some of you still say, no, I can't. Ah, I'll go and present in front of the MD. Ah, who is going to be there? You start creating bubbles and gas in your system without knowing that they are just mere bubbles. They are bubbles towards fear. But this is favor knocking on your door. Imagine if Esther had that measure of fear. And this is why you, it's important that you have a mentor. This is why it's important that you have a coach. When you have such people, they are able to tell you what to do to overcome those fears. So Queen Esther wouldn't have become a queen if there wasn't an Uncle Mordecai. But more importantly, everything she had came from her home training. Because the way she dealt with the king's eunuch, who was a supervisor preparing them for the project, she was the most humble of all the girls. Others were busy picking whatever fragrance they wanted because they felt they knew what to turn the king's head. But they forgot that the man that is in the place there knows what fragrance will turn the king's head. But Esther, in humble obedience, said to the man, please, I need you to guide me on what to do. And the man took particular interest in her and showed her what to do. And guess what? She built her confidence and she went for the Persian. And Fiam, the king noticed her. Fiam, she became the queen. So whenever you are given an opportunity to face the dock, D-O-C-K, to stand in the dock, and when I mean dock here, I'm not talking about a court, you know, because it feels like a dock, like everybody's looking at you and everybody, they're about to pass judgment on you. That's why I use the word dock. Remember, you are just standing there to get promoted. If you get on that kind of stage, there will be stage fright. Yes, even if you've been doing it every time. That is why a lot of the artists 
get into all manner of things to give them some boosts. They're going to take in all manner of unjust and just medication. Let me call them medication. I don't want to use some other words. And when they get there, they are so high and they're not seeing anybody because they want to perform. You know, most of it has to do with stage fright. Most of it has to do with the butterflies in their tummy. So you're not alone. It happens to every human. It just tells you that you're human. But this is the good side of it. You are learning. You're learning to become someone who can stand and speak with confidence. You're becoming an orator extraordinaire. You are becoming a man or woman of substance, a man or woman of virtue that is extolling virtues that people will say, we want to listen to him. When everybody thinks about a man that stands and gives an oratorical speech, they think Obama. Everybody believes that Barack Obama has what it takes, but the day we all watched the wife, Michelle Obama, instantly I told my friends, I said, that actually is Barack's coach, that the wife will be his coach because she speaks better than Barack himself. She's so confident and she strings her words well. But I tell you, it must have started when she was a little girl. When daddy will tell her, come and stand before me, daughter. Speak and let me hear you. I want to tell you a little secret that I may not have put in my book, but one of the things that gave me an opportunity to speak very well, because my father had, at that time, um, was partially blind. My father could not read at that stage. I was always reading newspapers for him. I mean, weekends, when we are not at school, weekends, Saturday and Sundays, my dad would buy paper and he would buy three. He would buy Sunday Times, he would buy Sunday Times, and then he would buy two others, he would buy Punch, and then he would tell me, sit there and read the papers. Once I start, after a while, I will get fed up and I will run away. The slightest opportunity I've left the house that I'm going on an errand, nobody sent me. But little did I know that year upon year, day upon day, night unto night, that this man was asking me to read the newspapers for him because he couldn't see to read, that he was actually helping me to build myself. I discovered this much later when I began to use certain words in school. And people will tell me, you today speak big English. Honestly, it's not as I didn't study English, but I can tell you a lot of the words came when I was having that private session, always reading the newspapers to my dad because my dad could not see. Little did I know, whenever I can't pronounce the word well, my father was very solid and he's still very solid in grammar. He speaks well. And he will tell me what that word means. He got to a certain stage. He said, you know what, Idorian? I'm no longer going to be telling you the meanings of the words. I want you to come with your new Oxford, your Oxford Learner's Dictionary, put it beside you. When you see a word and you can't pronounce it, I want to hear the phonetic. I want to hear the sound. Go to your dictionary and let me hear how you want to learn. That was how I learned English, reading the newspaper to my dad as a little boy. So giving a presentation is nothing but preparing you for the great day ahead. And so when you mount to the stage and you start speaking and you're able to give a perspective on any matter, no matter what is being thrown at you, you are quite diverse in knowledge and diverse in attitude. 
you've only succeeded in building brand new. Finally, friends, I want to talk about the 10th learning activity that I'm putting for your consideration. It's about chairing a meeting. You know, this is one part where a lot of people don't even know, but it is a great opportunity to learn chairing a meeting. When you find yourself in a space where you all come for a meeting and they're waiting, you know what happens? It's always who will the cat. It's a situation where maybe all your colleagues are all in the place and you all come together. Or maybe the boss gave you all an assignment or daddy or mommy gave you all an assignment and he did not specifically say you handle it and you get to the meeting, who chairs the meeting? And your colleagues all turn around and say, you chair the meeting. That's one case. Another case could be you go on a course or a training and you all you have to break into groups. So you have breakout sessions. And they say each group must have a chairman and a spokesperson. And you get there and everybody turns around and looks at you and say, you chair the meeting. And you say, no, 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 no. I, many of us instantly, initially always say, no, no. But the group pressure will come and say, no, we want you. You should ask yourself, why did they choose you? This is the reason. There is so much good about us that we don't see or know about. But people see the good in us. When it comes to the playing field, they easily identify us. But this is where it really irks me that those of us that have been identified to lead, we say no. But those that have identified us, see this good in us, and rather than tell us all the good things, they rather just allow us to say no. You know why? Because of the fear. Everybody is going to start turning around to say, you are not good at so-so. You did not handle so-so well. You did not do so, so well. We are easy to pick on people. It's more about negatives, negatives, negatives. I want you to understand that if you are the kind of man or woman who thrives in negativity, you can most likely not see anything positive about a person. And when the time comes for even you to grow, for you to learn and take something out of a situation, you'll only see negativity because you've trained your system, your lenses, your entire configuration to be negative. That is the problem that we have with our country. That a lot of us do not even believe that things can work. So a very infinitesimal minority still have hope that this country will be great again. But we forget one thing, that there's so much good happening in this country on a daily basis even in our families, that we do not even bring to the fore. It's the same way about how we treat ourselves when you go for a function and you are asked to chair a particular group, subgroup, or chair a meeting. We resist. I know in very few cases, it's probably because of the workload. I had such an encounter early this year. I told you I was invited to the board of, um, to be on the board of directors of a particular um, technology company. And when we got in for the first board meeting in January this year, and they needed to appoint the chairman. And there and then, 
just sitting in that same caucus with other distinguished uh, board personalities. And someone, the gentleman sitting beside me, just said, oh my God, I didn't realize I was sitting beside this man. I've heard so much about him. I've read so much about him. The man said, oh, I was at LBS. I know him so well. We talk about him whenever he comes. And the man was talking about no other than yours truly. And I was sitting beside him. And the next thing he said was, there's no way I can even sit anywhere. And they will not tell me that this man should not be the chairman of this board. And I said, oh, my God. Now, here I am. My hands are already full. As we speak, at that point, on what you call non-for-profit organizations, I probably sit on the board of five of them. I don't understand naming. And then the ones for profit, about four. So I have about nine, ten boards sitting on those boards, not to talk about being on the trustee of my, my, my school alumni board and all of that. That's minus that. And here they are, they want to make me the chairman of the board. So my first instinct was, guys, I have so much in my plate. I had to come here to honor this great mentee of mine who found me worthy enough to bring me to join the board of this distinguished company. But friends, I can tell you that every other board member at the end of the day said, Mr. Enang, you are going to be our chairman. This one, two, three people have said everything they've said about you. You are the man for the job. And I had no choice but to accept. What I'm saying to you, friends, everything that hitherto I had been practicing, those learning activities, came to a space where people were now giving testimonies about me. It's the same thing that can happen to you when you go through the process in order to build your future. It's all about self-managed development. And as we look through this on Thursday, when I get back, we are going to go into the principle of self-analysis. Thank you so much for listening, my dear friends. If you have any question, please just pop a mail to contact at navigatewithid.com. I'll be more than happy to address some of the issues and help you on this journey because your best days are still ahead. Thank you so much and God bless you. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.